Welcome to Recovery Bites. This is Desley Casey, your host. And today um, we have an interview and I'm talking to Catherine Wilkes about the cashless debit card. Now, Catherine is one of the founding members of the No Cashless Debit Card Australia group. She is a single DSP recipient, so disability support pension recipient, and raised her daughter as a single mum. Welcome, Catherine. Hello. Hello. I'm so glad that you're on the uh, podcast and we're chatting today because um, you have a wealth of knowledge about this cashless debit card and the impacts and implications of the card uh, for actually everyday Australians uh, on a settling benefit. So my first question is, Catherine, is uh, can you kind of explain to me what cashless debit card is and what why has the government uh, introduced or successive governments, from my understanding, introduced the card? Okay, so the cashless debit card is the privatisation of our social security system, but it's being done in such a way that it's been put across as um, the problem solver for all of our society's ills. So the smokescreen being used is drugs, gambling and alcohol and to the suggestion that everybody on a social security payment is wasting their money on these sort of products. When in fact, that is so far from the truth. Yep, we do have people in our communities that have problems with addiction and that is a health issue and it needs services. It needs funding for services to help those people. Whereas the cashless debit card is forced income management, where a person is contracted without their consent to a private company. What the government fails to actually expose to the people is once you're contracted to that company, you've lost your rights under law, in Australian law. So number one is the protection of payments under the Social Security Act. Once you've been forced onto the cashless debit card, you're exempt from that protection under the law. The law's still sitting there, but you're exempt from that protection. Right? They've had to do that so that they can actually divert 80% of your payment to the private company, because that law sits there, protect you from having a private company be able to do that. And they couldn't repeal it, but they had to get around it. So that's one protection that you've lost under the Social Security Act. Then you've lost your protections under the consumer law in regards to being um, issued a card in your name without your consent. And also the other consumer protections that go with, with, in regards to the company you're contracted to, that they take no responsibility for any losses or damages they may cause you from them not paying your bills or causing you to be late with your rent. Whatever happens to you, they take no responsibility for. But being a private company, they're also not accountable to the Senate the government, they don't have to account to anybody, right? They're untouchable. What I call Teflon coated. Wow. Whereas the forced card holder hasn't got anybody to stand up for them. And this is, you know, it's really difficult. You lose your privacy because all of your personal details and information is transferred from Services Australia to this company, Indu, and they sell it. They sell that information and they share it to their stakeholders. Right, so any other services that are signed up with them, 
right, have access to all of your personal details, but not just yours, you, you know, including your family financial details and all that sort of stuff. And the um, information is shared with the, uh, the US, UK, Israel and Spain. Um, so you've got that aspect of your privacy is gone. You've lost your autonomy and your self-determination to make your own decisions because they're in control of 80% of your income. So therefore they're in control of your life, right? You have to apply for permission to pay rent. Your rent is set at zero allowance. You have to comply with their strict framework of how rents could be paid, but not everybody fits into their little box. So if you haven't, you need to have a fixed, dated, signed lease that you have to upload to them to get permission to raise your housing limit from zero to whatever your rent is. All right, the delays will put you behind in rent. They won't let you access any more funds to catch that up. And if you fall out of that strict little box, you end up in a situation with periodic leases, room rentals, third party rentals, where you can't pay your rent. They will not allow you to access the cash to pay your rent. You've got um, loss of statutory rights has now um, come in since the bill has been extended since March. Well, that means that you've now got, um, how can I put it? A convicted murderer sitting in prison still has their statutory rights under law protected. A, a forced income managed cashless debit card holder no longer has that right. And how do they get around that particular they just added that. Well. They just added that to the legislation. Right. Don't okay. ask me how they did that. But then you've got your human rights breaches, which is several different breaches, um, which culminate around the right to social security, the right to a private life, the rights of the child, the rights of the disabled, the rights of women, have all been breached. Yeah. In fact, they're just being ignored. And how did you become involved uh, in the campaign to say no to the cashless debit card, Catherine? So back in 2015, I stumbled across the Senate inquiry and I was watching the Senate inquiry, the first Senate inquiry into the cashless debit card, which was prior to it going into Seduna. When I realised what it was all about, I thought I, my daughter was 14 at the time. I took one look at her and I thought, you're not doing that to her. You know, if she needed to be on Centrelink after she was 18 to basically make her a non-citizen and put her outside the protections of this law, it's not good enough. She's an Australian citizen. She's entitled to be protected under the rule of law, non-discrimination and innocent, you know, or proven guilty. I mean, this presumption of innocence is gone as well because everybody's branded as guilty of being an alcoholic, a drug addict, a bad parent. They're just branded. You don't get to stand up and prove your capacity. You don't get your day in court to prove yourself. You know, see the ramifications for this for the future. And I thought, no, this is not good enough. So I set up a Facebook page. And then I set up the national page, which is our No Cashless Debit Card Australia group. And then I met the other people that were coming with me. We started off original Say No 7. And um, now SN7 Resources. Um, Amanda's done tremendous amount of work with the policies and um, the writing and explaining it in plain English, you know, translating the policy from legalese into English for us to be able to understand what they've done. 
So in 2017, it came to my region where I was living and we came, we ended up, we traveled to Canberra, we went to the Senate, we spoke at the Senate, we did protests in the streets. We had to, we bought it on, you know, from being an online campaign to an on ground campaign. And we haven't stopped ever since. And you were mentioning to me before the podcast that as a result of appearing at the Senate Inquiry in 2017, uh, the seven of you actually stopped uh, the Medicare rebate being transferred onto the cashless as a matter of law for those who are uh, recipients which is a bad word, quite frankly. They're not uh, not recipients of the cashless card, particularly voluntary, are they? Um, no, they're forced. Yes. Uh, could you explain so we found out. we found out, like, literally the night before that um, the government intended to make it so that if you were attending the doctors and you had to pay out of your 20% cash allowance for your doctor's fee that they wanted to make it that the medicare rebate would be paid back to your cashless debit card and one of the people that came and spoke that day jenny cameron she pointed out as a parent who needed cash to pay for her son's medical appointments that this would be in a way robbing people of their 20 percent because for a lot of specialist appointments and a lot of doctor's appointments, you've got to use your 20%. They don't accept the card. And then to take back the Medicare rebate, put it on the card, is basically stealing from their, that person's 20%. And um, we did manage to get it clarified and they changed it so that if you're paying out your money for your Medicare rebate, it goes back to your normal personal account, not the cashless debit card. But we had to point out that they would be effectively robbing people of more of their 20% by denying them that rebate back in cash, which they would be relying on to save up for the next appointment. Right, okay. Well, it's really great that you were able to actually stop that because, it, as you say, it does have major ramifications down the track. Uh, I know myself, I have to pay for specialist appointment and the, the rebate even while it's pathetic certainly helps doesn't it yeah yes and um so in many respects uh the government promotes this debit card is like any normal debit card from a financial institution is this so if not why not it's far from a normal debit card the only thing is it looks like one because it's a visa debit card run off the visa platform and yet it works in an FPOS machine the same as a normal card does. Mm -hmm. But that's it. That's where the similarities stop because your bank debit card does not dictate to you where you can shop, what you can buy. It doesn't remove your human rights, your legal protections under law. You don't have to ring your bank manager to ask permission to access extra cash or go and get affidavits and show photographs of secondhand goods you'd like to buy. It's so far from the truth. It's unbelievable. 
but because it looks just like another card, well, it had Indu. A lot of people still have the Indu logos on their cards. The new cards don't have it anymore. So as people's cards expire, they'll get sent out new ones. But it's still obvious. At the cap, you know, most cashiers can recognise it. Most people do still recognise it. Still stands out as a cashless debit card. No other card removes the person's dignity, stigmatism, like the cashless debit card. Uh, yeah, it's nowhere near. I mean, having my NAB card does not remove my human rights, my banking rights under law. Yeah, I, some of the things that this card does is just horrendous. And um, yeah, normal banking doesn't do that. You're protected under law. Not you don't lose your rights under law with it with a normal card. And so, basically, are you saying that Indu, as the third-party companies, are actually making the decisions on which vendor the card can be used at, which vendor it can't be used at, what type of goods you can uh, purchase, even if it's clothing or shoes or toys for children, for example? Or well, okay, so... It can be used with most FPOS machines, okay? <laughs> it's supposed to block alcohol and gambling at the checkout. But we've already seen video footage of it buying alcohol anyway. But the funny thing is, well, it's not funny for the person who's quite often the card will decline just off its own back for people trying to buy groceries. So they have to walk out because they can't get any money out. They can't just hop to the cash, cash machine or, you know, and pull cash out. So when this happens to a, a, a forced income managed person, it's embarrassing and they go without. What else do they have the problem with? Um, paying bills. Well, you can use BPAY now, but you couldn't do that before. So. Yep, a lot of people use BPAY to pay their bills, but BPAY comes with a different set of fees in a lot of cases. So you're, you're paying extra to pay your bills. Whereas before, you probably had your bills set up in direct debit from your bank account straight to your bills. Now you've got to do things in roundabout ways. Okay, oh. so if you want to buy secondhand goods, you can't just, you, you get your 20% cash allowance, which for somebody on a job seeker payment is about, $8.79 a day, not even enough for a bus fare and, and regional buses don't take the car. So, and you're allowed $200 every 28 days. Okay. That's not really a lot for people that are having to pay things like childcare fees because the childcare center doesn't do center pay and doesn't take the card. Um, water bills. Uh, insurance is depending on what your car insurance is depends on who who you are with as to whether you can use the card or not car loan repayments the same thing a lot of finance companies won't accept payments from the card so it makes life very difficult having to change things but when you want to buy something secondhand and you want to access more cash you have to um, send them proof so you'll need the sellers full details name, address, the item that you want to buy, a photograph of the item that you want to buy, basically an affidavit from the seller. And so in some cases, they want the, the seller's bank account details to transfer the funds directly to the seller. 
But that can take two to five days. So most sellers don't want to pe sell to people on Indu anyway, especially if it's on Facebook Marketplace, um, Gumtree. I, it just makes it all too hard for people to be able to transact normally for access to secondhand goods. But then you can run across a situation, especially, and this it happens to parents, at the end of the year when you get your family end of year supplement and your tax reconciliation payment, those payments go on the card at 100%. So if you, like one of our parents ran into the situation where she wanted to buy um, a secondhand bedroom suite for her teenage son, and it was a really good suite, but it was $1,500. She'd put down the $200 as a deposit, and she knew that her money was coming in like on the Friday. Lady was moving house, so they teed it up that she'd pay it the balance and the lady could move without having to move it. Until Indu decided no. She rang Indu to get the money transferred and the woman on the other end of the phone said, no, we don't want you to spend all that money all in one hit. So this continued on for another week. It nearly cost her the deposit that she put down with the other lady. Um, she tried two times over the course of four days and was rejected twice. It was the third time that she finally got access to that cash to be able to buy that bedroom suite. It stuffed not only her around, but it stuffed the person who was moving around as well by another week because um, she couldn't access the cash. I think the more embarrassing situation would be if it's something that's personal items, especially for plus size clothing and undergarments like bras, right? I was really shocked to hear one lady was told that she would need to provide a photograph of the item that she wants to buy. Because in the regions that the card is in, there's no plus size clothing shops. So most people would buy online, but they used to buy through eBay, which is now banned, right? Unless you go through an eBay seller that does afterpay, because afterpay is okay. You can have a lot of money stuck in your cashless debit card. They will refuse to release it to you to buy things, but they will tell you to go and purchase the items on Afterpay and you can make the repayments with your card. So then people are actually incurring high interest rates on Afterpay for something they could have easily purchased from the card in the well, first place. Uh, as long as you pay your Afterpay, there isn't any fees. But the thing is, that Afterpay and ZipPay are, are considered negative in the in the scheme of credit ratings. Right. So then, when you go to opt out, apply for opt out, you may have ZipPay, you may have opt, you know, Afterpay paying things off that normally you would have been able to just pay for, and it's held against you as a negative to right. imply that you can't manage your funds because you're having to rely on get it now, pay it later schemes, but they push you into those schemes. Yes. Okay. And one of the other examples I came across, Catherine, was a lady who went to four, you mentioned groceries before, who went to four Aldi shops and it was uh, just to get her groceries. It the card declined at three. It was only the fourth that the card accepted, even though she had money in the account, uh, clearly had the money in the account because it wouldn't have transferred across that quickly. 
from what I understand, it takes 24 to 48 hours to transfer into the card, uh, if I'm correct. So she clearly had the money in the account, but it just kept declining. And I'll give you my own personal example. Okay, I'm not living in a trial site. I'm not on the card, but I live in a rural area. For me to go to four Aldi, Aldi shops would be a half an hour drive north, then a half an hour drive southeast, south, then a 50 minutes drive further south, and then an additional half hour, three quarters of an hour to drive further south again. And then to drive home would be at least an hour's drive. For even if you don't have those type of distances involved, it's totally unreasonable, I would suggest, that if the vendor has been approved as an approved seller and the money is in the account, that for whatever, and it can't just be a normal once uh, off the bat type hiccup because this sounds like a regular occurrence in the Hindu system that it's constantly declining the car not only oh it has been yeah Uh, over the last six years it has been a real big issue um especially i mean considering where where the card is you know so so for instance saduna is the oldest trial site to this day, people walk in to the main, there's a main store that does everything, news agent toys and everything. And they present the card and it declines. And they have to go out the back and get a different FPOS machine for it to work. But that's only if the staff feel like going out there and doing that for the person. Most of the time they don't. And the information I get back is most people now, the card declines, the person walks out, it's a very racist town. They're very happy for those people to walk out. They don't care. So when the card has declined so many times, and they always blame the card holder or they blame the merchant when it's their card that's doing it. So like there's a video um, from 2019, uh, 2020 sometime, on the No Cash to Debit Card Hinkler page of one of our people who tried to use her card at in Bundaberg at an Audi store and the card declined. It just didn't want to work. She had, she just had enough money in her personal account. So she filmed the whole thing of the card declining. And then she used her own card, her Commonwealth bank card to show that that worked without a problem. Mm. To prove that it was Indu's system, not her fault. And she was able to prove that she had, you know, she had more than sufficient funds in the account this is what really gets people is they have the money in the account but for some reason it will decline and so it leaves people stranded so for for instance in kalgoorlie the card is in a really big area we had a a young mum with five kids and at the time her baby was only a few weeks old and she had to drive 60 kilometers into kalgoorlie to buy some formula and nappies and things the card declined so that's a wasted trip of 60 kilometers but on the way home the car broke down 
leaving her in 37 degree heat on the side of the road, unable to even call a mobile mechanic because they can't take the car. The car's down, it's not working. So that's where it becomes a, a life-threatening situation in Outback Australia, where it, the car de can decline. If you have a situation with natural disasters, everybody's given forecast warnings. So in other words, get cash out of the bank, get batteries for a radio, get your water in. Cashless debit card holders can't get cash out of the bank. Even in an emergency, Senator Rex Patrick tried to put an amendment in that, you know, under the, you know, whenever we have cyclones or floods or anything, you know, under a disaster emergency situation, could people access cash? And they went, no, they wouldn't allow his amendment. So for people who are enforced card, that are on, forced onto the card in an emergency situation, they're abandoned. Daduna saw this when their power went down, when the towers all went down in 2016-17. And um, they were left eight days with no power, no access to food or anything. Oh. And yet in town, at the community pub, which is a band merchant, of course, Telstra brought in an emergency generator and they set up an emergency internet and they had it on the radio and in the local paper. All the locals could go and get cash out and all the businesses in town reverted to manual cash trading for that fortnight or until they got it that sorted out. Anybody on the cashless debit card was excluded and just left. Wow. And we had one guy that wanted to buy a generator and to buy it new was $2,000. To buy it secondhand was 500. He had the money in his Indu account. They refused access for him to be able to buy that generator so that he could create power in an emergency situation. They still said no. Oh, it, it just gets worse and worse. Um, you talk about Seduna and you've talked about Kimberley's. Kalgoorlie, sorry. What are the, uh, where are the trial sites in Australia? Okay, uh, so you've got... What is the makeup of these, this population group, which seems to be a small section of the Centrelink's population? And is that not discrimination in itself? So, the original two trial sites were Sabuna and East Kimberley's Kununurra and Wyndham. Uh, majority is First Nations people. So it's racist in that respect. Then they went to Kalgoorlie, which covers Canambla, uh, Kilgardie, Laverton, uh, Menzies. It's a big area, a really big area. And again, it was basically 60, 40% First Nations people, but still racist in that respect. And then we came to Hinkler region, which is Harvey Bay to Bundaberg. That's where you see a big difference where it's only 17% First Nations. The rest is non-Indigenous. So we're the token white community, right? So that on the data stats, it looks really good. It brings down the percentages of how many people of First Nations heritage are impacted. But with the new um, expansion into the Northern Territory, it will impact 82% First Nations people in the Northern Territory that are currently on the basics card. And that they want to, okay, so they say it's 
voluntary to go on the cash just debit card in the territory but it's not in the respect that the person is already on a compulsory forced income management being on the basics card they can voluntarily switch to the cash just debit card okay but it still means that they're still on compulsory income management but the but in doing so believe it or not the basics card still has their human rights protections is controlled by centrelink not indu not privatized they still have their protections under law for their payments they still got their rights if they volunteer for the cash just debit card they forego all of that because they transition to the privatized sector i bet you they're so not they're, being explained this oh i hope they are but unfortunately um we we wanted to try and get some sort of leaflet out in different languages but it was very difficult to be able to do that and so i'm hoping that other people in the northern territory a lot of the most i mean most almost all of the aboriginal community sector was against the card going into the northern territory it's bad enough with the basics card the damage that's done over 13 years and this is worse so with uh cape york with 150 people that have gone on to the cashless debit card in the cape york they that also includes their age pensioners for the first time age pensioners are included in the cape york so age pensioners are alcoholics and drug addicts and gamblers is that right well and child abusers as well according to our government yes now the the reason that they use to put age pensioners on it is because you're at risk of humbugging right you're at risk of elder abuse because you know if you've got adult children and your grandchildren on the card and they don't have access to cash and you've got your pension, they're going to come and ask you to help. Right. So therefore we put the whole family, the, the Cape York system is very different as well. So you can actually, if you're the partner of somebody who's on forced income management, you can end up on it yourself. It's a different setup altogether. They had the basics card, but they had a different program that was actually working for them. But the cash just debit card will now destroy that program. That we tried to warn them. Yeah, we tried to warn them, but we couldn't, you know. So they decided to go with the cash just debit card. They'll find out that they can't get their people off in 12 months like they could with the basics card. And, and they won't, there's no flexibility in the, and the support services won't be there. Right. And that's a, another thing I was actually reading this morning that 76% basically across all trial sites wanted to get off the card, uh, wanted to withdraw from the card. That's a pretty high number. I thought, that's I thought it was more than that, actually. More yeah, than, oh, 70 to 76%, number. depending on the trial site, actually wanted to get off the card, expressed that. They didn't want to stay on the card. They didn't want to stay on the, particularly say on the card with subject to changes. And that, but the stat I saw this morning showed 76, 70 to 76% across all trial sites wanted to get off the card. Yeah, the stats I've got, depending on what you're looking at, in which sector, like mm -hmm. when they were talking about alcohol and drugs, 
there was no change reported in 76.8% of people. Um, and overall, it came in at no change and no impact on 85% of people, no, no change. The gambling side of it, 79%, no positive impact. And um, basically, I mean, everybody I speak to, of course, they'd want to be off the card if they could get off it because it's just too difficult to, to live in society with it. Yeah. And how many people have tried to get off the card who uh, have been successful, unsuccessful? Do you have any stats on that, Catherine? We did Senate estimates um, just recently. They actually did mention this. It's just a matter of, I could find my notes because I don't think it's available yet, as in like on their DSS stats. Right. But it's not a lot of people that have been able to get off. So there was, at the, uh, currently at the end of February, there was 1,590 applications to exit, mm -hmm. right? Um, of which at, at the end of February, only 354 had been approved. Wow. So not even okay. high. 703 were not approved. Mm -hmm. 418 have been withdrawn or closed. That means they've either gone off the system or they've just given up. Right. <laughs> um, so, and breaking it down into Hinkler, there was 532 applications with 221 not approved. Saduna right. was 57 applications with 16 not approved. Oh. East Kimberley was 92 with 53 not approved. And the goldfields had 303 with 144 not approved. Oh. So basically, like the goldfields, Kalgoorlie area, it's 50-50. 50% of people are not getting off. It's a slow process, even though they, they did... I believe, I'm not sure whether the amendment was actually passed, but they, one of the amendments that was put through this time was to try and get the application process finished within 60 days because a lot of people are still waiting on their first phone call back from their application that they put in a year beforehand. So a year of forced, and then only to be told, no, we're not going to approve anyway. Yeah, and they can use different stupid reasons. The most common reason that they use is you're at risk of homelessness and you've had too many declines. So most logical people turn around and say, well, can you please show me on a statement what the declines were for? Mm -hmm. And the answer you'll get back from Indu is that's internal internal data. We can't give you that. In Senate estimates last fortnight, the, the Senate was questioning the Department of Services Australia, who claim that Indu have no right to withhold that information and should be giving people that information, but they don't give it to them. So uh, instead, so they'll. Yeah. So is it Indu that are making the decision in regards to who gets off the card or is it centrally? It's Services Australia make the decision. The delegate to the minister makes the decision, right? But when it comes down to um, other things, it's Indu that have a, they also play a part in it. And you'll find that people have to play ping pong between Indu and Services Australia. Yeah, it's... It's cool can, what they put people through all the time. Absolutely. Can they, under the Freedom of Information Act, get that information from Indu? Apparently, according to Services Australia, 
they shouldn't have to go to the Freedoms of Information Act. They should be able to request that statement. Indu are refusing to cough up. So Service Australia clearly have the number of declines and basically... Oh, yes, they have the number of declines, but the, the reasoning, um, they're blaming the cardholders for yeah. those declines. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, is that if they have the number of declines, they would also have the data from Indu as to what those declines were for, whether it was to buy a pair of shoes, whether it's, and there was money in the account, dates, times, oh, et cetera. They've been practicing their product blocking technology in the Hinkler region. So we don't know. They're saying a lot of people for their declines, they're saying that um, they released this figure of 400,000 in the media, said that that's alcohol related. Oh, yes. They're trying to get alcohol. That was in the Courier Mail, wasn't it? Yeah, that's a fairy tale. That's a fairy tale. I've actually got the full figure here, but yeah. because the transactions decline regarding the merchant, not the product. Ah, right. We've got a situation now in WA where we've got a cardholder who can't buy food at her local IGA. But she really? can buy alcohol. Really? But she can buy alcohol. So it defeats the purpose of what the card was originally. Absolutely. But she doesn't want to buy alcohol. She wants to be able to do her shopping. Yeah, oh, right. She can't shop in her town because the card declines when she's trying to do food shopping. And she needs so to eat. Just that's right. So she's been like, this would cause trouble for the business owner because he's been allowing her to put food stuffs through as alcohol purchases in order to get it through, which is going to cause trouble for him and her. Oh, wow. Right? But it ended up, she sent us video, we posted that, and then uh, Gwyn7 went out there and, and they had it on the news. They filmed it for the whole country to see. Yeah. They called it a crazy card, right? But it's not the first time that sort of stuff's happened. Oh. And the other thing is, is that if people refuse, their application is refused to exit the card, is there an appeals process? You can appeal. Uh, we. We encourage people to appeal and then we encourage people to appeal again because we've got people going through second and third refusals. And I've got one lady at the moment, she's going as far as she's managed to get a, the Australian Financial Complaints Authority to look at her complaint and take that on. They've already warned her they can't do anything, but they can take it on, you know what I mean? Yes. And that has to record publicly the problem with Indu. They, they, they publish all of the complaints issues. She's managed to get it to an AAT tribunal, taking it all away. And I don't blame her because she was put in a position where she did not want to activate the card. She's a working single parent and she was offended and upset. She didn't want the card. So she went into the shop front when they had it here and she said, I don't want to be on this. And she was emotional. And the woman activated her card without her consent, right in front of her. All right? So her attitude is her judiciary rights, her, her complete, all her rights were just killed in that one minute. So she's stuck to a gun. She's not used $1 that's in that card. 
not once has she used that card. And she's lived off her earnings and her savings to support her children. She's applied twice to opt out and twice they've refused her. Second time round, they basically came straight out and said that she's neglecting her children by refusing to use that money. Yet there's no welfare check, there's no reason to send welfare into her home because her children are not missing out. As she said to me, the, her children are missing out on the luxuries of having a working parent who could afford more because that money is trapped, okay? But they're not missing out on the basics, the rent's paid, the bills are paid, the kids' school fees are paid, everything's done. And they even tried to make up little fibs this time to suggest that she had debts, which she has no debts. She's in credit with everything. Oh. And she has savings, which is, you know, she's a, it's a unique situation because most people don't have savings. Or if they do, they're stuck on the card. They can't access it anyway. So she's taking this to AAT Tribunal and good on her. But it's been tough. because She works and she only has one or two days off a week to try and sort things and the stress that's caused her. The most common excuse is you're at risk of homelessness. But the ironic thing is that they'll say this when someone is stably housed, right, or in a safe place. And then when someone is actually made homeless due to the rent not being paid or not being able to access cash to pay their share of the rent, they come back with you're at risk of being homeless, which I've got with another lady in WA at the moment who is currently homeless thanks to Indu. She's having to couch surf with two children and she's due for a third one anytime in the next two weeks, right? And um, they just, yeah, she's, she's now putting in a third appeal to get off the card because it's ridiculous because they won't let her transfer money to pay rent. And it's not her fault. A lot of landlords do not want people on the cash just debit card on a lease because of the history of the rental delays causes breaches. So when the rent is delayed by two days, four days, it's also delayed for the homeowner who's got a mortgage to pay. Because your bank isn't going to wait two to four days to issue you that default fine for missing your mortgage payment. And this is where a lot of owners now have drawn the line and said no to people on Indu. Because she, she wanted to be able to take over the lease of her, a family member's home. And the owner was straight up with her. He had no problem with renting to somebody on Centrelink. He had no problems with renting to Indigenous people but he could not rent to somebody on a basics card or Indu card because he has a mortgage to pay and it has to be paid on time. And he shouldn't have to put up with the delays caused by the department, which is a fair comment from any homeowner that's paying a mortgage and, and relying on the rent. So this has now become, Indu is now the new barrier to rent, renting. Wow. So it leads into more problems because People get breach notices, three breach notices, you get a form 12, you get eviction, you're out. Once you're out, how do you get back in? Mm. What's happening up here in Hinkler is once people get kicked out, they end up having to leave the state and they go elsewhere. Where it's even harder to use the card because nobody knows what it is, but it's also a bit easier to hide the fact that you're on the card because you're the only one in your suburb and uh, don't know about it where you've moved to. And the other thing is just talking about, you know, moving out of a trial site area, that's not an automatic reason to be automatically taken off the card. Is that correct? 
you don't get taken off the car just for moving. It goes wherever you go and it stays with you. So for instance, so people from Hinkler region, they've got a different setup to the people in the rest of the country that are going on the car and originally on the car. So for people on job seeker parenting and youth allowance in the Hinkler region and up to the age of 36, they're on the card. Once they move somewhere else and once they turn 36, they can get off the card, They'll, they age out of it. But that's only because they came from the Hinkler trial site. It could get complicated if they move from Hinkler to say Seduna or Kalgoorlie or somewhere that's a card site where their card program goes until you're 67 years of age, covers all payments, disability support pension, carer payment, the works, right? Um, that's a big difference. Hinkler is the only trial site that's aimed at the younger group. Wow. The other, other sites are all, all payments. So all Centrelink recipients who reside in those that postcode area of the site, except for Hinkler, are basically forced onto the card. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So you could be 50 years of age and you've just finished work or you've just lost a job and you've worked for 25, 30 years or whatever in a job and you'll be put in the card. But how can, they, how can they justify how does the government justify Catherine just willy blanketly putting people on the card, regardless of their life's circumstances, experiencing budget skills? I would suggest if you're 50 years old, 90% of the people who are 50 years and over either worked all their lives or most of their lives, they've had to budget, they've had to bring up a family if they have partners or children or anything like that. If this is for alcohol, drugs and gambling, so the government is saying, then how can they encapsulate the whole Centrelink population and say suddenly, because you're a mature age job seeker, you suddenly have a problem with alcohol, drugs and gambling. When you've worked all your life, you've held down the job for God only knows how long. You've managed the family or your own personal budgets for God only knows how long. How can they justify this? Oh, because they keep moving the goalposts. Because as Anne Rustin says, it's a financial literacy tool, <laughs> which it's not. Um, it's supposed to cure unemployment and welfare dependency which it can't do, it can't create one job. And it can't cure addiction because you need the services in place. And Sedona has been screaming for a rehab for a decade, 10 years and still hasn't got it, but they've got the card, but they still got addiction problems. They've still got alcohol problems in their community. The card hasn't stopped that. You know, their domestic violence is up 20% since the card came in. All the hard work that the community did prior to the card coming in is all gone, right? Because, yeah, um, so they justify this by saying that if they were to target it at certain people, it would be discriminatory. All right. And it was like, so they say that it's got to be a blanket approach because otherwise you're going to be discriminating people who are addicts. The thing is, nobody should be sold to a private company. Yeah, this card 
it's not about drugs, alcohol, gambling, financial literacy tool, job creation. And according to Twiggy Forrest, it even stops pedophiles from fiddling with kids. Do you know what I mean? And according to Pauline Hanson, we, we don't have any of our rights anyway, and we're all drunk child abusers, so we deserve it. It's, it's an ideology. But yeah. see, someone's getting rich out of this. This is about money. This is about privatization of our social security system. This is about creating an apartheid state, right? Right under the nose of the UN, it's illegal under international law to introduce apartheid laws, but they're doing it. Because when you segregate portion of your community based on, in this case, social economic class and their source of income, and you exclude them from the rule of law and the protections of the country's laws, and you place them under the, at the mercy of a private company, you've just created an apartheid state. They're financially, socially um, excluded, segregated. But I would also suggest that discrimination is not only based on race, it's actually based on socioeconomic. So if you happen to be a, a Centrelink recipient, even if it's only for the family benefit or whatever yep. payment, you are automatically discriminated from other Australians. It's also discrimination yes. by postcode. And mm -hmm. I do yes. understand that the government really wants to go full pelt right across Australia. And that's probably their grand response to that time. But in actual fact, actually still, because you happen to be a Centrelink benefit, regardless of who you are, what colour you are, what race you come from, background you come from, they're discriminating between two different population groups, the Australian mm -hmm. population and those on Centrelink. So yep. it still breaches, wouldn't you think, that it still breaches the anti-discrimination laws? I would say so, but I'm not, I'm not a human rights lawyer. But it definitely it does not conform, even though they say that, that you know, the government claims that it fits with our human rights obligations, it does not. No. Nah. And the not human rights sector is... No, no. And if you look at the submissions from the human rights sector... Right, they tell you straight out it does not conform yeah. and it breaches and it breaches the rights of people with disabilities, it breaches the rights of women, children, the rights of social security, the right to live in free harmony and inclusion. You know what I mean? It infringes on your banking rights, everything, your fiduciary rights, and yeah, this it, it, at the end of the day, this is not about the people that are forced onto the car, this is about commodifying those people. Mm. For profit. This so how is, much does it cost the government to privatise? Because I don't think Indu is in it for the love of it. Of oh, no, time. they're not in it. Okay. So as of this last Senate estimates, which was just done in 25th March, Indu so far over the six years, just Indu's profit, they've received $70 million. Okay. And then a further $26 million will be spent in the next two years for the extension of the original four trial sites. 
and another 17.5 million will be spent for the Northern Territory Cape York. But when we look through all the costings from 2015 onwards on all the different contracts that have been signed with Indu and everything, um, without that 70 million or without the 26 and the, and the 17 million that's being tacked on now for the next two years, which is $44 million, they're already up to $255 million has been spent just on the cash, just debit card. And they could afford to they pay afford. every Centrelink recipient a rise in their benefits with oh, that $50 million, surely. Yeah, so, yeah they could. So it's for economic. They don't want it. So, but the waste of money, considering that this, the ideology from the, the LNP and their supporters is don't invest in the poor. When, if you invest in people, you'll get a return tenfold. If you, if for every dollar that a Centrelink recipient spends in a shop turns into $5 yeah. on its way through the system and it keeps people employed and it generates more taxes as each person, you know, as it goes through the cycle. This funnels money out of your local community by directing the money through to the major multinational big businesses. Okay, so yeah, most small businesses who have got FPOS can take it, but at the end of the day, people are, are funneled to Woolworths, Coles and Aldi to do their shopping, rather than the farmer's market that they might've gone on a Sunday morning and bought all their produce, because right? they don't have the cash to spend at the farmer's market. So, so then it's, it's having a major ramification on small business. Well, because you've got, Andrew's got 80% control and ownership of that 80% of that money. Yeah. But that's already gone from being freely being able to be spent within your community. So that's got to impact your economy. All right, then it's going to the multinational big businesses. We've already watched in all regions, a lot of smaller shops have just shut down after the cards come in. Right, so you lose a lot of your smaller shops and then you, you lose your markets because markets need people, customers that have got cash. You can't expect somebody who's selling at the markets to go out and get an FPOS machine for a, a, a one day a week job. So it's having a negative impact there. It, and these companies like Woolworths, they only play, like, employ, employ casuals. So it, it becomes like the old script system that the miners used to use in the 17th century. So the miner would pay his worker in the form of a mining token that he could only spend at the store that was owned by the miner at the elevated prices. So therefore the money went back and around, but it only, it only benefited the miner. So we're seeing this on a grand scale because when you look at it, Twiggy Forest was pushing for this to happen. All right, the card is in all mining regions. Oh, when you look at it, wow. Okay, every region the card is in is a mining region. Um, it's it's not too far to just ramp that idea up. So the multinationals are now where you can spend your token, and they control the pricing of all the food. But at the same time, Woolies and Coles are what's killed our farmers with the pricing for milk and and beef and and fruit and vegetables. So in, in one way, 
the money's being funneled to them, but it keeps our, our farmers crippled as well. They only employ casuals that are still on the cart because you can have a casual job. You can't get off the cart. You've really? got to have a full-time job to get off the cart and not receive $1 of Centrelink. So for a family, I think the total cutoff is $124,000 a year for a family. Depends on how it works, okay? So I've, I, myself, I've based it this way. If you earn less than $125,000 a year, and you are receiving family tax benefit part B and $1 of any payment at all, you'll be on the card. That's the way they're looking at it. Because you have to be able to get off completely to be off the card. And uh, it's to me the cost of on top, the administration costs, the staff costs, all that money, it's not being funneled into the services that the regions need mental health, gambling, counselling, right, housing, crisis housing. The first thing that they did when they bought the card into Henkla was they cut the funding to the emergency housing, knowing that people wouldn't be able to pay their rents. So instead of being able to go to this place to get help with rents so they could stay up to date, they cut the funding to it. The federal government cut the funding to all emergency housing on the 1st of January, 2019. The card rolled in the 29th of January, 2019. This is very deliberate what they've done to all of the regions. And to come in and spend 500 and something thousand dollars on two staff members for six months contracts or four staff members, my apologies. This is just a big waste of money. It's just, but people are getting rich. Poverty, pro profits off of poverty has become a very big, multi-billion dollar business across the world so you've got a situation now where supporters stakeholders who are reliant on people being on cards to be getting paid so they may not even agree with the card but they know that if it goes away tomorrow they lose their jobs and according to the south australian evaluation of the south australian western australia trial sites not only people lose you know as you're saying their jobs and it's big business but it's actually increased domestic violence mm -hmm. as a result of people being put on the card is this widespread over the four trial sites yeah if they're cutting off the emergency housing how are women and children especially able to exit domestic violence situations as a result of this card? They don't, they're trapped. Right. You can't actually, you can't pay for a motel mm. on the card or a hotel room. So you're stuffed. It, you have to rely on whatever services are in your region to try and help you get out. That can be a life or death situation. We've had card holders that have been trapped in domestic violence situations and they've stayed a year longer because they were stuck on the card and couldn't figure out what to do. Wow. And in the end, they've just gone with no money. And, and, and if you've got no family support, you're stuck. And again, they can use it again. They'll, they'll use anything against people and they blame people for their own predicaments, which is not fair. It's, but yeah, the card will trap women and children into domestic violence situations. 
the biggest, the quickest way to get into a domestic violence situation in any relationship is to introduce financial hardship. Right? And then throw in you're at risk of homelessness on top of that. And you don't have enough income. And that's the crux of it. Social security payments are not, they're too low. They're to the point where they don't cover the basics. They don't cover rent, electricity, telephone, car, rego, school needs. All of it's been stripped right back. So you're putting people that are really under the pump financially, mentally, physically, because as their income is so low, then their physical health declines because their nutrition status declines. They can't afford proper food all the time. And then you throw in forced income management where you've got some condescending person on the other end of the phone making statements like, well, just get a job if you don't like it. Or you shouldn't have had that baby, you know, because, you know, you only have the baby to have welfare. These are some of the comments injury staff have told people that I've been dealing with. Stress is one of the biggest factors, financial stress. It's always been. You know, alcohol, yes, that plays a part. And... I can't speak for indigenous communities, um, but most of the communities have had so many years of battles with intergenerational trauma, racism, alcohol, drugs. And in some of the communities, they battled these things and they got rid of petrol sniffing and they got rid of a lot of the problems. And then along comes the card and then you've, all of a sudden you've got people drinking methyl, petrol sniffing, all over, a decade's worth of work done down the toilet because you bought in controlling abusive system that's just destroyed the mental health of these people. But also um, alcohol is not illegal. It's not, no, it's not. It's not an illegal activity. No, but if you're, if you're, if you're a first nations person and you live, especially in East Kimberley, Western Australia, when you go to the bottle shop, there's a police officer there and they um, will check your ID. They have the banned alcohol register in the Northern Territory and it looks like they're going to take that on board for the East Kimberley as well. So you've got all these other factors that factor in just for Aboriginal people basically to make sure they don't dare have a drink and then they try and say that the card's working when it's not that. It's the other factors. Yeah. that the restrictions on how much they can buy the restrictions at the door the police i mean you don't see police officers outside our dan murphy's do you yeah. checking everybody's id and then if they see you with an injury card no you can't have it go away yeah. right i do understand the complexities there is issues in aboriginal communities but there's still issues in white society as well Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's and just look at our politicians for for example. Oh, yeah. They, right. they, they're using taxpayers' dollars, mm -hmm. just like they receive a, a wage or whatever mm. you want to call it, a payment, which is taxpayers' yep. dollars, just like Centrelink recipients do. Oh, you can't use, say that, though. <laughs> But they don't see it that way. But look at the problems of alcohol in the Australian Parliament, which has been sprayed all across general media and the actual assaults that have happened mm -hmm. to workers and uh, everything like that. 
should we not be as uh, Australian taxpayers demanding that their wages, 80% is quarantined, somebody else has to make a decision. By the way, you can't buy alcohol because you're, you're, you're uh, at risk of either offending or assaulting somebody or whatever, or you're at risk of being uh, assaulted or, uh, and the like. So my, my attitude with the politicians is no other workplace allows you to go to work drunk yeah. and they don't allow you to drink on the job. Even if you're working in a pub, you're not allowed to drink on the job and you're not allowed to drink on your break. Right, and you're not allowed to roll into work with last night's hangover, okay? You can't drink and drive. So therefore, why are our politicians allowed to just drink all day while they're in Parliament House? Get rid of the alcohol in Parliament House because you've got a combination of factors there too. You've got the, the power imbalance of the patriarchy, right? That looms it over staff members because a staff member is not a senior MP. For a start so you've got a power imbalance there already there and then if you contribute to it by alcohol that gives people dutch courage to be able to progress more then you end up with what we've got which is a drunken rabble who think they're born to rule right but the, the mm. thing is how can they do their jobs how can people like me and amanda have to go through all the legislation they can't do it why can't they do it because you know you need to have a clear head to be able to work through all of the legal ease yeah. how can you do your job represent your constituents and vote properly on bills that you're passing if you're drunk tony abbott missed out on crucial votes because he was sleeping it off because he'd had too much to drink it's not good enough it's not and it's not fair of course nobody else in this country can drink on the job so why should they so they need to sober the whole place up which means they're probably going to need to call in some rehab experts because if they do you're going to have a lot of people going to be having withdrawals hmm. because people who would, would would have such an attitude that they would never they would never admit that they would be an alcoholic in the first place because it's only the plebs beneath them that have those social issues, the ones that they're dishing out cash, just debit cards and punitive um, job agencies and, and kicking us while we're down. But when you come down to it, it's something that affects 2% of our population across the board. It's not just an Indigenous or Aboriginal issue. It's across the board, right? And the majority of people that live in the regions where the cash is debit card are don't have those issues. We can't afford it. We've got other priorities. When you're single parents, you, you're focused on your kids, not drinking. You can't afford to go out drinking all night, come home with a hangover and then look after the kids during the day. But these people are so far detached. They've got no idea. And um, yeah, it's personally, if yeah why 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 isn't their workplace the same as everybody else's workplace why are their staff not safe any other workplace with the reforms that have taken 
place in the last 30 years, all right, because sexual harassment was rife in the workplace when I was a teenager and in my early 20s. Um, but the unions and everything changed all that to make it safe. Why are these workplace rules not in place in Parliament House? Thank you, Catherine. We're going to stop there for part A. It's been a very interesting discussion so far and there is a lot more to come. So this is Desley uh, telling you to please check out part B because Catherine has a lot more examples, a lot more knowledge and a lot more wisdom on the cashless debit card. Thank you.